LDB, 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 LDB. Good evening, LDB. Breaking tradition with our good afternoon, LDB. Uh, I am your host, Chris Schutzer, along with fellow host, Matt Starr. Matt, how you doing? I'm doing all right, you know, on vacation, chilling, but uh, podcasting from Charlottesville tonight. That's awesome. I'm actually also on vacation, podcasting from Truro, Massachusetts, which is pretty great. We also have uh, co-host Sean Crean. Sean, how you doing, buddy? I'm good. Hello, everyone. Uh, yeah, I'm just back from Yosemite, not to one-up Charlottesville and Cape Cod, but uh, a lot of good vacations going on. Yeah, we missed you last week, so I'm glad you're back. Um, and I, I think we can give Becker a pass because he's getting married next week. So he's not here. But uh, keeping with our tradition of having a guest, we are thrilled to bring on Josh Breeze, uh, Breezeblatt. Um, Josh, how you doing? Doing good. I do not have any great vacation stories. I just have a six-month-old sleeping upstairs. So that's a win. He's asleep. You must be, you know, a veteran of podcasts because that was the perfect segue. How are you holding up with that? I'm good. I, I, I mean... I think I've told a few guys in the league, but like I was, we were very lucky sleep wise. Um, uh, my son, Ben, who's almost six months um, will be next week. He'd like basically started sleeping through the night at like four weeks. Um, and so he basically almost always, almost always sleeps like from like seven to like six to between six and seven o'clock in the morning. Um, so he's been like great on that front. So having the sleep helps a lot. How big was he at birth? I, I'm sort of curious if this was like he was like a little over eight pounds. Yeah, maybe you are just lucky. That's pretty yeah. great. Uh, how's yeah. Shannon holding up with all of it? She's good. It, now we're like balancing the like work and baby. So he's been in daycare for the last like six weeks. So that's been interesting for sure. Um, so balancing those and also in like with like COVID and daycare. So that's all been very interesting. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Is Ben making you a better or worse fantasy baseball player? I would say a better fantasy baseball player. Um, no, actually, that's not true. Definitely worse because I do not. Have, I, I did not prepare at all for the draft. Um, so, No definitely overall worse this year so what was the part of you that wanted to say better i'm sort of curious <laughs> well i sort of like now i just like try and like look ahead like so like i've already looked like at like a bunch of days next week and like what like my matchups look like and i've like tried to pre preset my lineups because i have no idea when i'll actually have time to do that so in that sense like maybe a little bit like i actually use my time a little bit better but overall it's not better if that makes sense Sean, did becoming a dad make you better or worse at this or, do, or you know, not really any difference? I'm sort of curious with you. I'm not sure it, it, it changed one way or the other. I actually was curious if I would be like more or less engaged. I will say, I think it made me more engaged um, just looking forward to this as like my side hobby, something I could still do as a dad of, uh, of a little, little kid or a toddler or whatever age they are. Um, so yeah, I, I would say not better or worse, but just definitely reaffirm my passion for the league. I never knew it any differently personally. Um, but I, I think like when you have situations where the kids are requiring your attention, obviously that, that makes you worse, but there are situations also where you're stuck at home and you have nothing else that you could do. So you start researching and I, I find that that helps. Um, so but anyway, enough about, about fatherhood. You're, you seem to be managing pretty well, though, Josh. I got to give you a lot of credit. Um, I was hoping we could do something on poker, though, because uh, I, with all due respect to you, Matt, and, and you can argue if you want, I, I think Josh is probably the best poker player in LDB. I mean, maybe Dubner has a I, I have no claim to that. I, don't, I have no, no, no argument here. I mean, like, actually, Matt, I'm, I'm curious. Would you agree with me? Because this is my observation from having been in... Uh, in um, Ian's thing. I, I just always got the sense that Josh was the steadiest and like very consistently among the, the top players. I know Dubner yeah, I mean, has streaks where he, he wins it, but. No, jo Josh is, is outstanding. And it's been, you know, I don't know, playing poker for a very long time. I feel like 
unlike a lot of us, I think maybe didn't have quite as much of a break away from poker. I feel like I played poker pretty consistently for like, you know, five years and then like didn't play for 15 years. Um, and I, I think I think the consistency with which Josh has, has played has helped, but he's he's very good. And, and I think the results of the, the Ian tournaments demonstrate that. If I haven't played in like six months, so I'm not one, I, I don't know what's happened lately. Josh, how would you describe yourself as a poker player? Do I describe myself? Yeah, are you aggressive? Are you like just going with the math? Like, I don't think I'm very aggressive, to be honest. I, I actually am. I'm I'm pretty conservative when I play. Um, I personally think my style is like more well suited for tournaments. I don't think I do. I personally don't do well in cash games um, because I like I'm I'm better at like sitting there and like waiting for like the game to come to me a little bit um and i feel like in cash games you, you have to force the action a little bit more um and it's like more about navigate it's a lot of like navigating your stack but in cash games you can just keep re-upping your stack so like it it doesn't factor that way so um so that's like sort of like or at least that's why i think largely um i've done pretty well in the tournaments although i had a really long streak where like i was playing Indians tournaments and I was not doing well but I am still partially convinced that that that, that game is very juiced not that it's like rigged but it's like juiced um where like they set it up where you get like you constantly are getting good hands or people around the table are is your decline relatively recently due to Ian's mom doing better because I haven't played in any of the games so I've just been watching outside, looking in very jealously. The time zone and kids make it hard for me. And I definitely notice you keep winning and I'm like, wow, Josh must be really good. And I, I, I hope to play against you someday. But but yeah, I, I, I notice Ian's mom is kind of, she's she's featuring in the final table more, so. It is so, I think a lot of that is, she had a reputation as like, sort of this calling station where no matter what you bet, she would just call. And, for, and she's just progressively understood the game. I think and gotten better and realized when she actually has something. And so she'll just keep calling, but she'll actually have something this time as opposed to like um, before. And so I, I think a lot of people think they can steamroll her or just win a lot of money off of her. And she has slowly gotten better. So she's kind of like a pool shark, except that instead of losing one game or two games in one night, she just lost for six months. And now we're convinced that she's got no shot and turns out she's got the goods. Sorry, she was just playing the uh, real, real- I may have frozen out there. Yeah. I mean, she, she, has, she has a great reputation. Yeah. If, she can, if she's pivoting off of that reputation, that is dangerous if she can try to use that now to her advantage. Uh, so Josh, tell, tell me like, what is the hand? And I think I've already asked you this one, but it's, it's one of my favorite poker questions. What is the hand that you shouldn't play that you always play? Oh, hmm. so I love, um, Jack 10 suited. Um, and, um, there's no real reason behind it. Um, it's like a fun hand to play where I feel like it has a lot of options. There's nothing really statistically that shows any. It, it's it's a very marginal hand. It's below average for your like normal starting hands. And, um, but it's a hand that I love to play when I can. Do you, have you ever won something huge off of it that like makes you feel that way? Is this a history-based thing or just? Um, it's not a history-based thing per se, but like, but I have won some big hands off of it, like flop some straights or um things like that um so yeah that's like part of it fair enough and do you only play hold'em or are you into other variants of poker when i was in college i we like tr like tried to get into some of the other games like omaha and like seven card stud um we had all these like theories behind that because everybody was playing hold'em online and we thought that maybe if we could get really good at one of the other games that we could actually like take everyone's money because there's like couldn't be a lot there were just weren't a lot of people who like were professional seven card stud players who were like playing poker online so we sort of thought they were just all a bunch of fish but we never really tested that theory out well enough that's fascinating <laughs> um no no i'm serious i like i 
I would I would have liked to have seen it. We in in my college days we played a lot of variants and I sucked at all of them except Hold'em. So eventually I just stopped trying. Like I, I felt like there were just people who knew them better and the, and the cost to get into them was too much. Sorry, yeah. like you wanted to say something. Go ahead. Oh no, I was just going to say, does it? Is anyone else feel, so like? I certainly was playing poker before Hold'em became a thing. At least like I was I was like playing a lot of like seven card stud and obviously five card draw was the other one that was that was hot with our group of friends like and then like all of a sudden like hold them like took over the world like when i was in college probably we were and when most of us were in college i guess not josh but the rest of us yeah i remember what happened first like espn started carrying it but also casino royale came out and like i think that was fanning the flames and then it just became like a thing that everyone was doing for years probably online the rise of online as well contributed to it it's funny that you reference that. I, the, the movie that like I remember being like, oh, poker, that's cool, was, uh, I think it was called Maverick uh, with- uh, Mel Gibson? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. You remember that one? I thought you were gonna say Rounders. Oh that, yeah, that, that's, that's a cool movie. I was thinking. Yeah. That, that's the one that, that's the one that like did it for, like my friends and I, we watched Rounders over and over and over again. Yep. Yeah. All right. So Josh, I got one last poker question for you. I, I didn't prepare like a, a, a silly segment or anything on poker, but I am curious to know for you, what is, what would you consider to be more of a gambling sport, fantasy baseball or poker? Fantasy baseball. <laughs> See, I straight up disagree, <laughs> but I, but for you, I was, I was guessing that you were going to say that. Um, so give me your logic. I mean, there's like, I mean, there's like a math and there's like some certainty. I mean, there is not certainty in poker. That's actually the wrong word. But there, but there, but there is like some math, and there is like some degree of like you know what you're getting into when you're getting into it. Um, you obviously can get screwed, but like to me, so much of fantasy baseball is like whether someone's going to get hurt or not, and whether like someone's been really great for the last couple of years someone like Patrick Corbin and then all of a sudden they fall off the face of the earth and people are now saying Patrick Corbin is done like there's just like to me like that doesn't happen in poker the cards are the same the math is the same it the players are different but like um yeah to me there's just more certainty in that star would you agree I'm just curious no I I would not agree I mean I I see what Josh is saying but I feel like I don't know. I mean, th there's an element. I mean, there's an element of both of those things that is, you know, control and strategy, an element of both that is luck. But I don't know. I, I feel I feel like I, I understand what Josh is saying here, but I think I, I would shift a little bit more towards poker um, as as being a bit more luck based. Well, but there, you know, there's a lot of luck that happens in, in both, and you know, you have to be lucky to succeed in either one. I feel like fantasy football is clearly a game that's completely luck-based and gambling. That's one reason I, I don't follow the NFL as close anymore, but I also just never found it that fulfilling because it was just like, to me, it feel, felt very random. But yeah, I mean, to me, poker and, and fantasy baseball involve a lot of skill. Um, I'd be curious to think about like a very skilled player at either, like what are your odds of winning? You also have to define winning in fantasy baseball. I think it's not just winning the championship, right? It's like your record overall. But um, yeah, it's a good question. Yeah, I, I'd agree with you on fantasy football. Fantasy football is so, so much more luck-based. Like, you know, fantasy football as opposed to, I mean, fantasy baseball, like, yes, like, if Mike Trout gets hurt or something, that will fuck your season up. But, like, fantasy football, like, it's the kind of thing where one injury to, like, any of, like, six guys could, like, ruin your year. And that it, it just, like, it, it's just brutal that way. So I'm, I'm tempted now just to swing this and give Josh the floor. Let's do that. Josh, like you've been in this league a long time. Your team was down and out for a number of years. And then the last three seasons, I'd say you've been very competitive and now you're just like a downright favorite. You want to just talk about how you built this? I, I think that's probably like we can even make it like a how you built this kind of <laughs> segment here. How did, how did we get to the place where you are clearly the favorite in Union? So, well, so first I... I will say, so this is now my, I think this is my 11th year in the league. Um, I think I started in 2010. Maybe, yeah, 2010 when I, when I was a co-owner with Nat. Um, and then I took over Alon's team. And Alon's team was pretty bad um, when I took it over. Um, and 
to me, I didn't know what I was doing for a while, just to be frank, of fantasy baseball. Um, Nat's team was so good, I think it was hard to screw up. Um, and when I was helping Nat out, he had such like a good like base in place. Um, that even though I did those, I, I was the person who did the draft for two of those years. Um, the, the team was so good that I, I did things that I didn't know what I was doing. Um, and they, I got very lucky. Um, but I'll be honest, to me, what happened, and I, and I did this with, I actually sent this email to Star at one point. I'm going to see if I can find it. But I had a stretch where I, like, drafted just, like, insanely well. Um, where in, like, consecutive years, um, I, I just drafted, like, I, I drafted, like, Bregman and Tatis and Judge and like all of these people that like panned out that just were all like that worked out insanely well. Soroka. Yeah, Soroka. And like I just built this like base that allowed me to be in a position where I had so much value built up that I like that now I've been in a great spot. Um so to me, that's more or less what happened, which is a combination of luck, but, or to me, sometimes with like these picks, it's like a little bit of luck, but um, yeah, to me, that's largely what happened. So like, I feel like it's been a, a the worst kept secret in LDB that Brophy values third round picks almost as much as first round picks. Obviously the top of the draft is not the same thing, but like, you know, he, he, he knows how to, convert the third rounders. I, I feel like you've converted late first rounders better than anybody. Do you have a strategy to that? Or like what's happening that like you are consistently finding the Bregmans and the Tatises? I, I, I want to go back and look this up as you're talking, but I'm fairly confident that you got Bregman and Tatis at the back end of that first round. I think that that's right. Tatis was a second round pick. Bregman was a late first, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, true. I did not have any like a lot of these were not like 1A, like, like, you know, like round one pick, one picks, and they were not like at the very end of the draft picks. I, I honestly think a lot of times I was in a spot where I was like 10th down and there were some like shiny objects every year that like didn't pan out. And I ended up getting some people that were like very much like value picks. Um, and those value picks ended up working at like they were almost like the obvious pick at the time or at least they felt that way to me um and then they very much ended up panning out yeah I, I feel like you've ended up for whatever reason like there are guys that like people pass over because they like view that they're boring even though they're like consensus high highly ranked guys that other people just skip over and you're like yeah i'm gonna take that guy i'm gonna take bregman and bregman and soroka are perfect examples of those guys so, like corbin burns was kind of that viewed that way um you know, and, and there's some, I feel like there are other Spencer Howard who hasn't quite panned out yet, but I still think could be that guy. So you're like, a bit, for whatever reason, they, these guys have always just kind of like almost fallen into your lap a little bit. And you're like, yeah, I'll take him. I'm not going to, I'm not going to be the next guy to skip over that guy. Yeah. It happened this year in this draft too. Uh, well, Josh, look, I, I, I wish you a ton of luck, man. I, I like rooting for you and I feel like uh, this is a good season for you to really go all in and we'll see what happens. I hope Tatis is okay though. I, I, I haven't seen anything since he came back on the field. Has he had any hits yet? He, he hit a home run in like his second at bat, but I think he's like in his two games, I think he's like one for 10 with, with that home run. So. So I did hear, and I, this like flabbergasted me that the advice that they've given him to protect the shoulder is to keep both hands on the bat as he swings through. And I'm like, okay. Uh, it's still like so, a lot of torque. Go ahead, Sean. So what I read is that the, the swing mechanics can really impact the recurrence of this sort of injury. So I, I mean, I don't have much more to say than that, but like, I think that, that may be what they're getting at is just like trying to alter his, his swing a little bit and especially like reaching for pitches apparently. I mean, I, I, I don't know though. I, I definitely would be a little nervous, but hopefully in the long run, you know, they'll work it out in the off season. Uh, Matt. And Josh, I, you're both muted. Uh, go ahead, Josh. Hit us up. Just really, just really, really fast. I found that email that I sent to Star. So I just want to read. And this is not me bragging. It was just literally like the way that these like things worked out. 
So in 2015, I drafted Judge and Conforto. In 2016, I drafted Blake Snell and Bregman. 2017, I drafted Tatis and Sean Reed Foley. 2018, I drafted Sixto, Justice Sheffield, and Corbin Burns. So if you just never made any trades, you would win every year. <laughs> I think what we've learned is you should stop making trades uh, unless you're going to be getting more draft picks, in which case, good job. Yeah. Um, so well done. It's a, it's a very impressive run. I don't think anyone can beat it. And I'm, I'm, I am in awe. I'm bowing on the screen. Um, so good job, Josh. Uh, I think um, you're going to get more, more chances to, to talk about your team and the injuries, I think, as, as this uh, episode goes on. I want to turn things over to Matt for a, the very first episode uh, segment of its kind, where I think Matt's going to do a deep dive on something. Um, Matt, you want to take it away? Sure. Yeah. So I think, you know, we're, we're going to experiment. I'm not really sure how the format's going to work. I feel like, you know, we'll see how prepared I actually am for this. Um, but I want to take a look through, um, and I, I don't want this to be me talking. I, I, I'd like to all kind of get in on this, but walk through a handful of pitchers who are off to surprising starts kind of in a good or a bad way. See if, you know, we can try to delve into them and, and figure out, you know, whether there's something here or whether this is just kind of short season, small sample luck. Um, so I think we just dive right in here. Um, so I want to start with some of the guys who are having surprisingly good years. Um, I think one of them, I think he's on Sean's team, but let's start with, I want to start with Jake Junis the Kansas city Royals um, who is now we've got 12 innings under his belt with a 1.5 ERA and a 1.41 FIP. Uh, seems like a pretty promising start there. So I think we can start with him. Um, I think what's interesting in Eno Saras wrote about this the other day, there, there seems to be, depending on where you're looking with Junis, um, a question, this is a guy who's always just been a fastball slider guy and has never really thrown any sort of third pitch. And there seems to be, depending on where you look, maybe he has a third pitch now. And it's very confusing. Uh, some places I'm seeing a cutter. Some places I'm, I seem to be seeing a slider being classified as a cutter. So I've seen like, if you look one place, it says like slider, fastball, cutter other places it's just fastball slider other places it's just fastball cutters i'm not entirely sure what's going on here but there seems to be maybe a new pitch here and i think if 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 that's the, the if that's the situation i think we might have something here chris you wanted to say something yeah so i'm gonna strongly disagree and this is coming as the guy who had junis for the last three seasons and was waiting for junis to actually be something and i think so pitcher lists unless they're wrong uh, Nick Pollock has said that he's basically ditched the slider entirely and is just throwing the cutter and the cutter's incredible. It's a very good pitch, but his, his fastball just sucks, man. It's like not a good pitch. Like you call him a two pitch pitcher and eventually they're just going to start looking for the cutter exactly like they were looking for the slider before he throws a 90 or 91 mile an hour fastball and it's hittable. Anytime that he doesn't have the second pitch, he's going to get shelled. So like in reality, I just, I really worry like, yeah, he may end up being a guy that occasionally is going to put up really great lines and go on good runs when he has both pitches going and, but eventually it, he's, he's going to hurt you. That's what I think is going to happen. So, so I'll just jump in here, Matt, on the, whether he has a new pitch, I'm almost positive that he does. So I actually, I drafted Junis partly because I was hoping that he would be a, a good hybrid kind of multi-inning reliever, which is what the, the Royals were talking about doing with him in spring training. Um, and, you know, he just seemed like a good gamble at the, the back end. But I actually, there's an interesting athletic story about how he worked with his brother in the offseason to develop this cutter. I think what it is interesting now in this day and age of like all this analytics, and we can look at all these, the, the pitch usage and the, the movement to see that the slider and the, the cutter that he has do seem to track similarly. Um, so I don't know what that means because as far as I read a bunch of different analysts, he, it, it is a distinct pitch. I've seen the, the gifs of it. Sometimes it's a little hard to tell, um, but it, to me, it seems like a different pitch. And um yeah, I mean, I was joking over email with you all, but uh, I actually am a little bit worried that he's now a starter. I would have rather he came, came in twice a week for like two innings, maybe three, um, and just had good ratios. Um, I'm hoping it works out uh, as a five inning, you know, two times through the order starter, but, but we'll see. Um, and Chris is, you know, Chris and I have had this before. I think, you know, Chris may be feeling a little left out from the, the Junis train here. I had Boyd the year after Chris ditched him and, and, and that worked out at least for half a season, so... 
we can revisit this in a, in a few Every months. Every motherfucking time that I have a guy that I'm like, this is my guy, and I hold him for multiple seasons, you're the one who gets him after me, and every time it pans out for you, and one day you're going to have to buy me a beer because this is fucking ridiculous. That's all I'm going to say. I'm done. Yeah, that was a nice little Schultz rant. Let's move on. Yeah, I mean, I, just 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 to, to wrap that one up, I mean, I, I feel like for me, he's kind of a wait and see. I'm, I'm a little, I'm still kind of confused. I don't have a good sense of what's going on there. Like, even if this, if you know, this cutter, the cutter or whatever this pitch is, seems better than the slider that he used to have. But he may still just be a two pitch pitcher, and I just don't know his, his ability to to understand. Even if he's a Matt, player. your volume got funky. You, you're, you, we can still sort of hear you, but it sounds like you're whispering. Oh, sorry. Can you hear me? Okay. Much better. Yep. Yeah, I don't know uh, what happened there. Shall we move on to your to your second pitcher? Yeah. So let's let's take on Freddie Peralta, who's the guy that. Um, I'm a huge, I, I've long been a huge fan of, but I kind of, I kind of assumed after last year, he kind of had a mini breakout after they moved him to the bullpen. Um, kind of thought that was kind of going to be his future role um, long-term after that. And the Brewers, I don't know if it was through necessity or whether they saw something or what have moved him back to the rotation again. Uh, and he seems to, uh, to also be in the midst of some sort of breakout. Uh, his, K rate is absurd. He's got 24 strikeouts in 13 innings so far uh, with a 0.69 ERA. Um, so there's something to like there. Um, so the question is, is you know, what what is going on here? Whether this is real. You know, this is another guy who I think was was essentially a two pitch guy. He was a fastball slider guy for a while. There was kind of a fastball only guy. Um, seems to be throwing a changeup more now, and I. I don't know. Again, it's, he's only thrown it like 6.3% of the time. So I think it's tough to get a read on what exactly is happening here. Um, but I would just say, just based on my history, I've owned Freddie Peralta throughout uh, on and off over the last few years. This is a guy who has struggled immensely with consistency from start to start. He's a guy who has come out and dominated many, many times before. And then will come out the very next start and just get absolutely annihilated and just say like, it's imminently hittable. And so I am not ready to say that there is anything notably different here and that we just might be seeing two hot starts from Freddie Peralta. And I don't, I haven't seen enough to say there's definitively something different here. This is an inconsistent pitcher who is off to a good start. That's, that's my brief assessment on Freddie Peralta because I don't see Unless this change up is something for real, I, I don't I don't see it yet. This is another one. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Sean. I was just just gonna say very quickly. This is another one where I'm like, ah, maybe he's better as a hybrid reliever, um, like you just said, Matt. The only other point I make is two is his two stars were against the Cubs, who have a pretty bad offense this year so far. So that's the other thing that makes it hard right now. Sorry, Josh. No, no, you're good. The only thing I was gonna he he has he has nine walks in those thirteen innings. Um, and so I, I don't think that I am super excited about anything for you for all time. I mean, it's nice to have the two starts, but it's not, I don't think I'm banking on anything here. Yeah. I mean, I, I like it more than I did at the beginning of the season when it wasn't really clear what his role was going to be. And, you know, I mean, the fact that he's going deeper into games than he typically has been is, is encouraging, but I, I have a hard time saying like this is a new guy who's going to sustain anything close to this level of pitching right now. Um, so I wanted to talk about a guy that uh, Josh you brought up, and then Ian just brought him up um, on the on one of the email chains before um, right before we started recording this. It's a guy that I owned in LDB for many years, so I'm intimately familiar with, and that's Marcus Stroman who, you know, at a quick glance appears to be, you know, doing something impressive. He's got uh, what a 0. 0. 0.9, 0. 0.89 ERA through 20 innings now. Um, but I'm going to throw some, some cold water on this because I see absolutely nothing that tells me there's anything different going on with Marcus Stroman than I have ever seen before. He's still not getting the strikeouts. He's still a sinker slider big time ground ball guy. I, I, I don't see any reason in the, nothing in the peripherals that tells me he's any sort of a different pitcher. I think this is another situation of a small sample, you know, a nice little stretch here 
Yeah, Marty Stroman's great. I think Marty Stroman's honestly been kind of underrated um, for a while. He's a good pitcher. I think we he had a bad year in 2018, and they didn't pitch last year, and I think kind of maybe fell through the cracks. But I think this is just who Marty Stroman is. He's a guy who's capable of the, these kinds of stretches. He's not this pitcher, and that's my, my Marcus Stroman take here. I'll jump in real quick on, on Stroman. Um, if there is a difference, it might not be him. It might be that the Mets infield defense for a ground ball pitcher is notably better. Um, and I think, you know, they, they had in the last couple seasons uh, a, a number of really iffy things that they were doing, whether it was McNeil at second before they uh, moved him around. Um, they didn't have a shortstop like Lindor. Uh, I think that there is improvement there. I will also say this, like today's win uh, against the Rockies, like I, I'm going to continue to say this on the cast. The Rockies, I think, are the worst team in baseball. Um, I don't think that there's really any competition. Their offense, especially away from cores, is just a straight up disaster. I think today's game was in New York, right? So like that's pretty much the tastiest matchup possible in all of baseball. I'm going to discount that one because everybody can do that. Um, the other two were against Philadelphia. And I feel like Philly's got a pretty middle of the road offense this year. Like they're, they're not bad and they're not amazing. I'm curious to see what happens when he plays the Dodgers. I'm curious to see what happens when he plays the Braves. Um, you know, so I, I'm with you, Matt. I think it might be a little better than before, but uh, I'm, I'm still holding out to see if there's a big difference here. Yeah, I would just add, I think he's better in real life than fantasy. I mean, this guy's had three uh, seasons of three plus F4 before. Um, this all seems to track. He's a solid pitcher. Um, he was injured. You know, I think he's bouncing back. And um, you know, the play discipline numbers don't look that much different this year. Certainly not a lot of Ks. I was just taking a look at the stat cast. Um, you know, nothing particularly jumps out. So solid pitcher. Yeah, I'm just I'm just upset that I couldn't use him in his, in his first start because he wasn't a starting pitcher because he sat out all last year. And then I didn't use him today because it was actually in Coors. And I basically had all the pitching matchups wrapped up, so I didn't need to start him against Hughes. So I'm going to have this great stretch because I agree. I don't think this is like – this is not some new Marcus Stroman, but um, I basically won't have gotten anything out of these – two of these three starts. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't think about the Lindor thing, but, I mean, Lindor is huge for a guy like Stroman. I mean, that's – that's like he, I don't think he's had a shortstop like that uh, backing him up before, and that's that's massive. But this is a guy who's had, you know, he's had great stretches. The year that I won the championship in, in 2016, he was absolutely incredible in the second half. He had like a two ERA for, you know, over like a hundred innings. And he's a guy who goes deep into games, which is, you know, very valuable. Um, I just don't think, he, I, I don't think he's ever going to be a big strikeout guy. Um, he just demonstrated that's, that's just not the game that he, he's looking for. He's a contact guy. He's a, he's a soft contact guy. He's a guy who, when he pitches like that, you know, with a good defense, he's going to be, you know, that ERA is going to be in the mid threes. That's totally adequate. Uh, I don't think he's more than that though. So I have a long list of guys here, but I, I, I want to jump into a couple of guys. Um, one of, one of whom plays for my, my Washington nationals and uh, has been hard to watch. And that's Patrick Corbin, who has just been, you know, Absolutely atrocious. His, his start, particularly in his second start, which was just, just really dismal. But this is a guy, you know. I, I my my bold prediction, my let's put quotes around bold because it wasn't that bold. But I, I should have been. I should have said more of a. I expected more of a disaster because I've watched a lot of Patrick Corbin pitch, and like I have seen the best of Patrick Corbin over the years, and something happened like towards the end of the world series season, he, he just stopped looking like the same guy. Um, he, they, they, I mean, they moved him to the bullpen. He was in the bullpen for a lot of that, uh, that world series run in the playoffs. He was wild as hell. Um, he didn't seem to be fooling people with the slider in the same way that he was as consistently. The fastball has never been great. And it, so it, it looked worrisome to me going all the way back to the end of 2019. Um, and he was not great last year and the velocity is now down. And I think all of these things, the, 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 the command is off. The slider is not the pitch it used to be. The, 
the fastball velocity is down. It, it, he's getting older. I just, I have all the concerns in the world. I had them before the season. I feel like nothing, everything I've seen so far just just backs up that this guy is 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 done as, as an elite starter. He's done as a, you know, I'm not, I'm, he might be done as a, as a major league starter at this point. Like, I'm not sure that this guy is, a, is going to be a consistent starting pitcher in the majors anymore. This comes back again to this, like the problem with being a two pitch pitcher. And I think in many ways, Corbin always was right. And so now without the velocity, the fastball just doesn't hold up. you you pointed out, he lost the command. I'm with you on all fronts. I'm very, very, very concerned. I actually wonder if he could revive his career as a reliever um, because he's going to have to figure out the command and he's going to have to probably be able to juice up the fastball on, you know, shorter spurts. And I'm not sure he could do that, but um, I'm very, I, I share your concerns on Corbin. Sean or, or Josh, either you want to weigh in on this one? Just, I was just looking at his, his Brooks baseball page. I mean, his slider has also lost uh, three to four miles per hour. Uh, fastball's down two miles per hour, but that slider being slower also probably, I don't know what the movement looks like, but that, that, that's not going to help either. It also just seemed like he commands it like he used to. Like he used to be able to put that slider wherever he wanted and he'd use it differently against righties and lefties. And he just doesn't seem like he can command it. Like he, he can't put it anywhere he wants to anymore. And that's a huge problem for a guy who relies so heavily on that pitch. So, and the other thing about this one that, that feels different is that like we're reacting to small samples with everybody, but Corbin's feels like it's actually a sample that goes back to your point, Matt, through all of last year, even though it was a short season, where it's, he just was not reliable. Um, and so I'm very curious to see if he'll be able to turn it around, but I don't think he will. Who else you got for us, Matt? Um, so so do, you want, do we want to talk about Kluber? I, I, I feel like, you know, I, I feel like I've already, I've already, this is another guy who I was not super high on to begin the year. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm still not particularly high on now. It's, it's, it's a velocity thing. I, it's another guy kind of like Corbin, who I feel like I worry that the injuries and the usage, you know, just the guy who pitched what 200 plus innings, many, many years in a row. And then just has not been able to stay healthy. He's 35 now. And I just don't know that it's, it's coming back. I'm really, I'm worried that, that we've maybe also seen the end of, of the good version of Corey Kluber, unfortunately. We have hit on this one on the podcast. I'm going to just continue to say I'm holding out hope um, because I think he's a wily veteran who will figure out what he has. And I think if there's anyone on this list that I would trust to try to work with diminished velocity and an injury history, it would be Kluber. Um, you know, but we have covered this one a lot. Sean, I see you want to you want to jump in, and Josh, you too. Oh man! All right, we're gonna have a good discussion on Kluber. Uh, I think I think Josh and Chris both have some things to work out with Kluber. You know, figuring out what's what's in the future here. Um, I have so like this is just like the Yankees are in like so much trouble as like a team. So like I have like all these anxieties. But Kluber threw 1,100 innings from 2014 to 2018. I mean, like that was just he was such a workhorse and he's thrown what since then 45 innings since 2018 total. I don't know. I, he's done. Yeah. I felt like he was toast too, but I didn't want to, I wanted to keep Chris's hope alive and my hope, you know, my I, I still be alive for another month, Sean. I, I'm I, like, okay. I, I understand it hasn't been pretty, but you got the, the, the same thing that is a major knock against him that he basically hasn't pitched in two years. I think that he's still figuring some of this out. And so if, if it still looks like this on May 15th, like I will fully agree. Um, he's had difficult competition and I want to give him the chance. You know, here's the other thing. Like I'll, I'll give you a, I'll give you a guy in my head that I'm like, everybody said he was done, but he was a pitcher. He was a pitcher's pitcher who'd done it with the same innings concerns, the same injury history. Adam Wainwright went from being an elite pitcher who basically disappeared for a few years and then has, I'm not going to say he's a good, like a, you know, top 20 pitcher or anything, but he's been able to make it work for the last three or four seasons. I think Kluber might still have a higher end version of that in him where he figures out how to work with the diminished velocity. I just want to give him the chance. Um, he has not faced any major league teams in a while. He still has incredible spin on these pitches. He's got four really good pitches and he knows how to throw junk. He's still striking guys out. 
So if he can figure out how to like make this work, it's it's different than some of these other guys where he's not, you know, they're, they're not getting the strikeouts. He's just giving up home runs. So like, he's got to have to figure, he's got to figure that out. I mean, I, I think if the bar is, is Adam Wainwright over the last few years, I mean, that's, that's, that, that is within the wheelhouse, in his wheelhouse. But this is a guy who's had like, you know, an ERA. I, I'm, I'm just trying to do the math in my head. An ERA, probably something around 4-3, four, 4-4 four, four over the last five seasons. I mean, is Corey Kluber capable of that? Absolutely. I'm not sure he's better than that, though. I'm sure that, I mean, that seems like maybe what he is now is that kind of pitcher. I just don't know that you can, that he can, he's never been a big velocity guy and he's down another two ticks on that fastball. I don't know if it's coming back. Um, you know, I think he can get by because he's got a lot of pitches. He can be, unlike Patrick, I'm not willing to say like Patrick Corbin, who I think may be done as a starter. Corey Kluber's not done as a starter. I think Corey Kluber is, you know, a, a, a crafty veteran at this point, like Adam Wainwright is. <laughs> Um, but I want to talk about one more guy because he's a favorite of mine uh, and, and a guy who I, I want to believe is is in the midst of some how, how old is Alex Cobb let's find out how old Alex Cobb is Alex Cobb now he's 33 33 years old Alex Cobb was like one of the best pitchers in baseball in 2014 <laughs> uh, before the injuries started coming and kept coming and there is something, you know, the ERA right now is, is 463. It's not particularly special, but there, if you look into the underlying numbers, there are some really, really encouraging things happening with Alex Cobb, but mainly it has to do with that. I don't even know what you call that pitch. He calls it the thing. It's listed as a changeup. I don't know what it is. It's kind of like a changeup splitter something. Um, but he is missing a lot of bats with that pitch in a way that he has not done in a long time. And, you know, I, I wonder, like, I don't typically expect a guy to have this sort of bounce back at this late stage in his career, but man, like there, there looks like, it looks like maybe something is happening with Alex Cobb and he is rediscovering what made him great like seven years ago. All right, I, I keep jumping in immediately after Star, uh, and I'm not giving anyone else any room to be the second voice, so my apologies. Didn't he throw the the thing, I'm using my air quotes, over 50% in both of the two starts? Like, it's a ridiculous thing. I thought it was a splitter. Um, that's what I heard, but it's, it's Matt, it's it, it's phenomenal. I, I like that he's trying something that's never been done before. Yeah, he, he's, it's at 40, uh, about 45%. Um, He's throwing it considerably more than his other two pitches. But he, he is a three-pitch guy. He's throwing his fastball 33% of the time, which is great. But his fastball velocity is up. It's the highest it's ever been, uh, in addition to the to the splitter, changeup, whatever it is, missing all kinds of bats. But I love it. I, I, I don't know how sustainable it is to miss bats like at this level, but it seems like something's happening here. He's got an O swing percentage of like 45, which I don't think he qualifies amongst the leaderboard yet, but that would be second in baseball behind um, Julio Urias. So that's that seems pretty promising. I mean, I don't know how much of that is going to go down just when guys are getting, you know, prepared for this if he's not throwing it in the zone more than 35% of the time. But yeah, it certainly looks looks pretty exciting. I actually was scouting him a few days ago and I thought maybe he'd be on the waiver wire, but nope, Brophy had him. Now, I will say one, one slight word of warning here. Um, I, I picked him up in, in the ghost season because I was watching, I think his first start last year, he came against the Nats, and he looked really nasty in that start and was not able to keep it up over the course of the season. So, you know, it's, it's too easy. He's got two starts. It's, you know, we'll see if he can continue to throw this pitch like this. I think that's really the question because, you know, there have been – glimpses of hope and and never no ability to do this consistently over the last few years yes yeah, yeah. from that leaderboard he, he he would also have the lowest zone rate in baseball if he qualified right now on the leaderboard and some like francisco liriano shit i remember francisco liriano lived like that until all of a sudden he couldn't live like that anymore yeah it just like the bottom just dropped out on that guy well, it was either 2018 or 2019 that the Mariners had the best record in baseball after the first month of the season. I can't remember which one it was, but this is, you know, we love to react to small samples. We love to declare victory or, or losses early. And I'm just going to say with all these things, you know, Steven Matz is one of the best pitchers in baseball right now. I'm, I'm grateful you did not cover him uh, because I'm pretty sure that would have uncovered, uh, you know, something underneath. We'll, we'll save that for another time. 
Um, but for now, I think uh, I appreciate that you did this, Matt. I think it's going to make us all all better for it. So thank you for the deep dive. I will say I, I like Matt. I've always been a Stephen Matt's fan. Uh, he's always had good stuff, and like the results never seem to match up to the stuff he had. And like maybe it's finally happening. I'm not. It's weird because I don't see like I'm looking at his numbers and I don't see a whole lot of change in terms of pitch mix or what. But like the result, you can't really complain with about the results right now. Yeah, and he's striking people out. But let's not let's not jinx Matt's because um, we already did that with Kluber. Uh, and so we're going to move on. Um, so guys, I think we'll try to do this relatively quickly because we're trying to keep the podcast to about an hour each time. Um, but there is some stuff that we still really want to do here today. Um, I'm going to open this up, Josh, I'm going to start with you teams that are off to hot starts. Can they keep it up? This is, you can take this again in either an MLB direction or in a LDB direction. I think it's kind of fun if you uh, go LDB, but if you want to go MLB, that's fine with me too. Um, so teams off to a hot start that you want to analyze. Anybody come to mind? I mean, so the first one for me has been Stars team, actually. And I know we've talked a decent amount about Stars. Or you all have talked about Stars team on the podcast, but um, I think there's just so much to like about that team right now. Um, they are hitting. They're hitting a lot of home runs. Their pitching has been good for two weeks. It's only two weeks. But um, I think that there's just a lot to like about Matt's team and they're off to a really good start. I think I agree. Sean, you want to go ahead and name somebody else? Um, I'm just looking at uh, Mark is really putting up some numbers the first two weeks here. And uh, I think he, uh, you know, heard all the, the chatter about three of the top five teams was it in Ian's power rankings in his division, not including him and, and uh, his boys, his boys seem motivated. I, um, I have not done a deep dive on his roster and like what's, what's causing all of this. Um, but, you know, you know, we've given Mark a lot of credit in the past for being a savvy manager and, and making, you know, making his roster uh, do a lot uh, tactically week to week. So um yeah, I mean, I, I think if, if nothing else, he just is reinforcing that it's going to be really interesting in federal all year. Um, and I, and I, I don't think there's ever going to be an easy matchup for my team when I'm just looking at the schedules. So it's uh, just one more, one more wrinkle in the, the whole season. I mean, I think that if you're going to go with Mark, you got to reference just how filthy DeGrom always is. But the beginning of this year is no different. And he's really figuring out a way to maximize it to his credit. Same way that he did JD Martinez's OBP last year. He's basically using DeGrom this year. And it's, it's, it's an impressive thing to watch. Um, but yeah, he's taking it to Anton right now. So uh, Matt, while you were gone, Josh said that your team is a fluke. Um, and he thinks, he thinks you're going to come back to earth big time. Um, uh, we, we'll let you listen back to the cast. It's uh, he, he thinks a lot of your players are garbage. So, um, but Matt, anyone that you think is doing really well that you want to uh, cite, whether you think it's for real or not. So I, 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 wa I wanted to bring that just, just because um, I'm kind of fascinated by what's going on in real baseball and the Boston Red Sox um, are, are playing extremely well right now. And I, I'd be curious to hear what you guys think. I know Sean obviously is a big big Red Sox fan. Um, Schutzer, I don't know how closely you're following them. Obviously you live up there. So, you know, probably are, are very aware. Be curious to hear what you guys think about what is happening in Boston and whether there's anything to this. Uh, you know, I, I have some, the, the offense looks good. And I, I mean, the, the, I have some questions about the pitching, obviously. I think that's where the, the major questions are, but I'd be curious to hear from you guys, whether you think this is you know, remotely sustainable. Can the Boston Red Sox be a good team in 2021? So I tend to, you know, withhold, I try to do some reverse jinxing often. Like I realized over the years that any year I, I picked the Red Sox to win the division, they didn't. So I, I'm always leery of, of jinxing them, but I will note, I, I let a moment of silence. I don't know if anyone joined me, but our first weekend, uh, I let a moment of silence because they had lost the Orioles three in a row. And I was just like, oh God, here we go again. Um, and then they won, you know, every game for 10 days. Um, so I don't, I don't know. I'm wary of commenting too much here, but no, I, I think that like, I'm with you. Like I have a lot of concerns about the pitching. Um, and I think the offense is clearly very solid. I think, 
you know, by the way, Heim Bloom, I don't think we noticed this, but noted this, but I think he, wasn't he a college roommate of Nat's, of Nat Jackson's, or she was a friend at Yale of Nat Jackson, um, which is, so. yeah. And, you know, honestly, the way Nat ran his team, Josh could comment, you know, he, he probably could also run a major league baseball team about as well as, as Heim Bloom. But, but anyway, um, yeah, I think, I think the other thing is just like every, every week they can get by, you know, staying ahead or at least even with the Yankees and the standings is good. I mean, I still think Chris Sale is probably not going to contribute this year, but that if they can make it into June, July competing, I mean, who knows what kind of trades they might make to bolster the rotation. Um, you know, I, I don't think they need to do much offensively or for positional players, but, you know, the, they, they probably can do some interesting things with openers and, you know, cycling in random, random pitchers from the farm. So, you know, I, I still think it's a wild card team at best, but certainly been exciting. I'll, t- I'll jump in and say, uh, Sean, again, for those not watching the cast live because you can't see us, he's, st- he's still wearing the same clothes that he was when he reverse jinxed the Red Sox two weeks ago. Uh, there's a visible, like, pig pen style dust around him. Um, so we'll, we'll hope that Sean is, uh, is the cause. Um, uh, I-, I will say this, Matt. I-, I think if you were to have done a deep dive on hitters, I would have hoped that you would have covered Verdugo. I feel like uh, he was a guy and now he might be a really good player. Um, I don't know how much of this surge is him, but it feels like he's just consistently contributing and, uh, and, and looks like a good outfielder out there. So uh, I'm curious to see if, if you know, the, the, the uh, baseball world's going to react to that. Go ahead, Sean. What about him leading? What about him leading off? I was looking at the lineup today, and De- Devers is batting fifth. I just feel like Kike Hernandez can go down the order. Like I just don't think that like, he's a fine player. I think, but like, put up Vertigo at the top, and then you've got maybe either Devers or JD Bogarts. I mean, that's I don't know. I feel like there's there's something they could do there. Yeah, uh, I'm going to take a pass on this one for time reasons, um, and you guys have heard enough from me anyway. Uh, the next question that I have on on LDB. Are we ready to pronounce anyone dead? Um, I, I'm ready to pronounce Ian's bold prediction dead that he was going to make the playoffs. Uh, I, are we ready to call him dead? Is Ian dead? He won this week. It looks like he's going to win this week. He's going to beat Nate, which, I mean, that's bad for Nate. I mean, I kicked, I kicked the crap out of Nate last week, and then to lose to Ian this week, that's it's not great for Nate. Not going to call Nate dead yet because he was, you know, he seemed to be the favorite to win the division. But man, I mean, Ian's team is not good, uh, and and you shouldn't be losing to Ian's team. Um, the underlying numbers in this win are really foul. <laughs> Just, I have to say, Ian's team has three homers, twenty-four runs, uh, a six-fifty-nine OPS, um, three and a half steals. He's going to win. Uh, with uh, tying with six home runs against, um, and uh, he he competed against the negative VJ. The VJ number's legit. I I don't feel good about about uh, Ian bragging on a win this week. Let's put it that way. Um, Sean, Josh, either you want to weigh in on this? I mean, what is dead may never die, right? So yeah, I think uh, I think Ian's probably going to struggle, but you know, Ray also. I think now this is two weeks in a row, probably losing four to eight, but no, I mean, I think it's a super competitive season. So um, no one else to, no one else to pronounce dead. Yeah. That was one thing I was going to say was if you look at the matchups from week one or the standings after week one, and then the matchups now, it's like, nobody's really going to win more than I think nine, three to any matchup this week. A lot of teams that lost last week are winning this week. Um, I think it's all going to largely be pretty competitive. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna pronounce Ian dead, but it's certainly not good. All right. Well, that segment. Was- yeah, I mean, I don't know. Ian, Ian, and Ray were kind of dead to me coming out the gate. So you know, that, I'm I'm okay with calling dead right now. If we're if we're going to be honest here. Um. All right. So identifying lucky or unlucky squads. Um, and then we'll do a game of the week. We can try to keep this one pretty quick too. Cause I feel like we've covered most things. I mean, Josh, this is probably our, our moment to say how unlucky you've been with, with the injuries. I mean, we covered it a little bit on the cast. We, we gave you the, the floor to, to talk a little bit about 
how you got to this point. Maybe I'll, I'll revisit it here for a moment and, and ask you, how worried are you about the way that your roster is shaken out? Or do you feel that in six weeks, your roster is going to look exactly the way that you wanted it to? I, I honestly am very worried about my pitching. Um, I don't like that I'm having to start people like Brett Anderson. Um, that That is not a place where I want to be. Um, you know, I once I get past Scherzer, Bueller, and Stroman, which are a great top three, um, but the fact that I, I'm, like, pitching, like, Brett Anderson and Fulte and, like, some of these guys who, like, I can't trust in any way, shape, or form worries me when Soroka is, like, hopefully coming back in May. And, um, yeah, and, like, um, Sixto is, like, throwing from 45 feet again, but, like, um, So, like, I'm hoping that I – I'm hoping that come June – they're both healthy and then I'm, I'm hoping that that's the case that like that the team shakes out that way, but I am definitely worried about my pitching currently. And I actually will say I have been unlucky with injuries, but I, but it, but if you ask me to say, um, but I am lucky, I'm going to, I think I'm also going to win MGS against Hughes. So I'm going to win nine, three this week. I'm actually going to have a winning record after two weeks. And that to me is like, I'm actually lucky given all the injuries to be where I'm at. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, your, your team was coming into the year pretty dominant. And, like, so there there was some room for you to have some bad luck and still be a 500 team. Um, you know, and I think if if Soroka and, and Sixto can come back in particular, I think you will be fine. But, yeah, the, the pitching depth after those first three is a little ugly right now. <laughs> you're going to have to rely for – for the next month or two, you're going to have to rely on some guys you probably don't want to be relying on unless you make a trade. Sean, you want to make any points here on lucky or unlucky? You're on mute. Um, sorry, sorry. Um, I mean, I have I feel like my team has gotten a little bit unlucky with injuries so far, and I also feel lucky to have gotten through the first two weeks, two good teams, probably at 500, um, if it shakes out the way it is right now with Brophy. Um, you know, Chris, you, you know, you lost a, a big bat at the beginning of the season. I think some of your pitching woes, I, I feel I feel bad. But I also I didn't I was worried about Strasburg and I'm I still worry about Kluber. But you know I I think there was a little bit of risk you you took on there. But um yeah you know it's still a little too early to to to, to lament our luck or not. Uh, besides season ending injuries and 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 you've got a, a brutal one. So well I, if we're, we're going to cite my team uh, I'm actually going to use it as a segue to talk about the team that I want to talk about. But. Um, I do feel I've been unlucky with injuries in, in, in LA and then Kyle Lewis has not played yet. And, um, you know, I did draft a risky team. Um, and I, I also lost like the Nats for half that week. I lost Aaron judge for half of a week or most of a week. So like, if, you know, we're only two matchups in and I, I haven't really had my team yet. So I'm similar to all of you. I'm, I'm going to be very happy to be above 500. I'm, I'm going to use this as my segue to say that the unluckiest team in LDB is no longer Josh. It's Jorby. Um, Jorby's team has been utterly dominant. Uh, his hitting this week was not great. Um, but the fact that he and I are going to be tied for first after this week is kind of a joke. Because if you look at the 7-5 matchup he's going to put up against me right now where he wins, like the five that I win are going to be like razor thin, where it was like I went all in to get those five. And the ones that I lost, the seven are just like obliteration. Um, and like not even, not even like worthy of being looked at by anyone. Um, so Jorby squad is as advertised uh, and he has no injury concerns at this juncture. So when you play Jorby, I just recommend you uh, drink a lot. Um, so <laughs> I, I, I did want to add, I wanted to add Hughes' team in the, in the, on the unlucky group. Now, just because the injuries, and he's had a bunch of those, uh, the fact that that Rendon and Freed are hurt, but and we didn't talk about Luis Castillo in the pitcher section, and we easily could have. I have some real concerns about him, and you know that's that Hughes has no control over how Luis Castillo does, but Luis Castillo not looking like the kind of the kind of pitcher he's been the last couple of years combined with all the injuries is, is unfortunate. And I think not great for a team that was really reliant on a handful of star players to see a few of those injured or not 
playing like stars. All right, I think this is my cue. Um, and, and we got, well, let's try to be quick on this one just so this doesn't run super duper long guys, but checking in on last week's match of the week. It looks like Sean's gonna take it over Brophy. Uh, Sean, is the eight four legit or is there some pitching shenanigans that you know it's, about? Uh, it's gonna be seven five most likely. Uh, he has MGS, Brophy has MGS. Okay. Um, but it, but yeah, it was, it was always a good matchup. Always happy to, to end a week against Brophy seven five. Yeah. So, and I think, you know, you guys basically, you, you held serve. I, I think neither of you lost anything major there. Um, that was good work by you uh, for the third week. Um, and guys, again, this is a, it's a flawed exercise. Like if we're really going to choose the best matchup each week, it's, it's, it might be a little bit boring because uh, we'll cover the same teams over and over. We're going to really try not to do that. Um, so we've covered two federal matchups in a row. I identified one where it feels kind of desperate um, in week three, uh, we have the, bear with me here, guys. Uh, it looks like we've got Becker is going to go up against, um, where is this? Yeah, that's what I thought, up against Ryan. So Becker started the first week 12-0 and against Ian. He's going to go 4-8 and this week. Still has a winning squad. Ryan, we just referenced, feels like he needs a win. Um, I, I, you know, you never want to say any week this early in the season is a must win, but both of these teams would really love to cement their position over the other, um, as you know, uh, a favorite in, in the union. So looking at this, um, uh, let me start with you again, Josh, like, do you have a favorite in this matchup? Who do you think is going to take it? Having just gone against Hughes. I'd like to think that actually Hughes is going to take this one. He he just got super. I mean, the pitching matchup against me, he uh, I think he showed that one day where he had like three pitchers all just get absolutely annihilated, um, and that sort of like ruined the week. He just had a great day where he had twenty innings and gave up one run and actually tried to make it close on MGS. Um, so like, I don't know. I think that Hughes' squad is better than its record and so i'm gonna give a slight edge to hughes i do too but i'm worried about max freed who just went on the il i i think there's something wrong there like big time yeah i, I will say for for hughes uh you know he, he 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 could fix some problems here by uh calling out mr may just saying you know that's that, that that's a guy sitting in in double a who's been absolutely dominant so far and could help a team with pitching, pitching, uh, pitching, pitching the way that uh, he would like to see them pitch. Sean, you want to weigh in? Who's home in that matchup? I think it's Hughes. Hmm. I give the slight edge to Becker on this one. Um, I'm going to say 7-5 Becker. Okay. Yeah. I would like to say one thing. So, you know, Becker's going to lose 8-4 to me. But one thing that uh, I was pretty surprised about, you know, he managed to to take a bunch of pitching categories from me doing exactly what he said he was going to do. I think he only had five starts this week, and his starters were fine. Uh, but his bullpen was dominant, and he got innings based on that. And that seems to be the strategy that he's going with. I don't know if that's going to pan out for him every week, but – you know, he's got like a 3-2 ERA after a week where he had, I think, a sub-3 ERA in week one. It's, you know, it's, it's been better than I expected thus far, even though you know, he didn't get much in the way of MGS or Ks. Um, the, the pitching is has been competitive. And if his pitching can be competitive, the team's going to be a lot better than I thought it was. I agree about Becker's team being better than we thought. And for his minors right now, he's got Jazz Chisholm, who is out of his mind. Um, three homers and three steals. The power speed threat there is going to be really fun for a long time. Um, so but things are looking up for Becker. Um, all right. Last thoughts, guys. Well, those were some riveting last thoughts. Good for you. Um, maybe, maybe I'll put you on the spot. Uh, why, don't, why don't we start with you, Sean? Any, any, anything you really want to think about these days? Um, 
No, I was just thinking how we have been kind of talking a little smack about Hughes' team the last few weeks. So I just, uh, you know, we, we look forward to, to Ryan joining us on the podcast. And um, no, I mean, I just got my first, my first vaccine. I think people have been talking about it on the email thread. So definitely feeling optimistic. Want to get to an A's game sometime this summer. And uh, yeah, it feels like spring out here and just, uh, yeah, super excited about baseball. And the, the Dodgers, I was just going to say Dodgers Padres, I guess, um, is like the new Yankees Red Sox. It's been really fun to watch this weekend. Matt? Yeah, I, mean, I, I was actually going to say something similar. I, um, Josh Josh and I split season tickets to the Nationals, and you know, we are just talking by email earlier about possibly trying to buy baseball tickets for late May, uh, which is, is, a, is a wild feeling and, and something that I did not expect to be happening quite so soon. I, I didn't think I'd be going to a baseball game in the month of May, which it looks like I might be doing. I, I'm not going to, even though I'm a Red Sox season ticket holder. Uh, they refunded my money through June 1 and then offered me uh, the ability to buy some of the 10% seats, but they're charging enough that one game would have equaled seven. And I was like, come on, guys, like, don't, be, don't be jackasses like that. So like, I, I opted out. Wow. Um, that's brutal. That's, that's, that's kind of awful. Not, yeah. yeah. So my seats are, they, they're typically about 65, 70 bucks a seat, which, you know, it's Fenway. So you got to expect that. And I love my seats. They wanted 215 uh, for each seat. And I was like, I don't want to pay $450. And then they get, then they have like the fee on top of that for like doing it like that you can't avoid. And I'm just like, come on guys. Um, Josh, any last thoughts? Well, first I'll say, I mean, obviously the Nationals don't have every game like sold out. So it's like not as crazy and obviously, but the national system is significantly better than that, where we basically have our, all our money held over. They're keeping ticket prices the same and you get to go into their system and basically pick seats that are socially distanced throughout the stadium. And you just pay the like market value for those tickets. And then they subtract it from the season tickets you already paid for last year. Cause you rolled all the money over. Um, so it actually is a very good system. And as season ticket holders, you get in early. So it's very nice. Um, the season but, tickets that we paid for in fall of 2019. Right, exactly. 2019. After the World Series, we like re-upped and then it's been, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, well, I love World Series though. Um, yeah. Josh, I just want to say thank you for coming, man. It's a pleasure to have you. Um, and I, I hope that we have you again uh, you know, late in the year when we're talking playoffs and, you, you know, we get a chance to analyze competition that you're likely to face. Um, but uh, yeah, well, you're, it's, you're a pleasure to have. Um, I think that's it, guys. Are we good? I think so. Great right. Thanks for coming, Josh. Thanks, guys. We'll talk to you all next week. Baseball.